And as I said, we had a great time in Falls City. It uh, did point out to me that there are some uh, things that you're never quite prepared for in seminary and graduate school. We were um, on lots of different projects. We had people who were working on, on lighting and, and uh, trying to figure out why lights didn't go on and people were cleaning up. And a couple of us were out in the, uh, the back filling in a trench because they're putting in a brand new sewer line to connect it to brand new. They finally got the brand new bathrooms put in. But unfortunately, there seemed to be a little bit of a blockage somewhere. And so as people were um, doing their business inside, it began to overflow in the trench that we were uh, working with. And we um, um, got it all fixed and all filled in. But, you know, what we just were talking. I remember Trevor was with me because Trevor was also filling in the trench with a couple other things. And, you know, nothing in seminary and graduate school ever prepared you for this kind of thing. Uh, it was all right. We, we did fine, and it all got fixed. But, um, yeah, yeah. As, as a matter of fact, Trevor, I think, had told me that he is actually keeping a little blog of things they never told you in seminary, which would have been, <laughs> which would have been really good. One day he'll have to publish that for all the up-and-coming pastors to say, you, you think you know what it's about? Not even close. Wait, wait till you get out there and you see what it really is like. You'll love it. Anyway, yeah, there we are, as a matter of fact. There's the trench. The other end is where it was kind of uh, overflowing. And so there's me and there's Trevor. Well done. Good job. Thank you. Okay. Here we are. We are in the uh, series. We still have a couple more weeks after today called Back to Basics, God and Grace. Now, what we're talking about here is we just want to kind of look at the basic of, of who we are, what, who God is, what it's all about. We're trying not to be too theological or to use too many theological words and terminology. Every profession out there has their own... Um, vernacular, have their own, their own little uh, a language they like to use. It kind of separates the haves and the have-nots, you know. So if I can walk up to someone and say, tell me what you think about the eschatological manifestation of the ground of being. Most of you would go, what? And a theologian would go, oh yeah, he's great. Because all he just said, tell me what you think about Jesus. But all of us have that kind of, I'm trying not to give you that kind of nonsense in this particular series and just try to make it as basic as we can so that we can understand who God is and what he wants from us. Our key verse is right here. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good. Grace. God is able to make all grace. Because the best word, as we've already seen, we started off, the best word to describe Christianity is not love, it is grace. Love, if you can understand the biblical definition of love, yeah, that works. But since we don't, we don't get that. Grace is a much better word to say it's all about grace. None of us deserves anything from God. His love, his blessings, anything, health, anything we have is by grace. Anything we know about him is by grace. He graciously gives these things to us. Take a look at that first sermon. It's online if you want to, if you want to listen to it. And it talks about the importance of grace and how that really changes the way we live. The next week we were looking at this, that God graciously reveals all I need to know about him, okay? We can't discover things on God on our own. We might be able to study certain things. You can study a car. You can study the human body. You can study science, these things. And on your own, kind of learn things about it. You cannot do that with God. There is nothing to study. God reveals things to us. He graciously, we don't deserve it. He graciously reveals some things to us. Does he reveal everything there is to know? No. Does he reveal everything we want to know? No. Does he reveal everything that there is to know about him? Not even possible. He does reveal to us everything we need to know. 
and you've got to be satisfied with that. I have so many questions, so many questions, but I don't need to know the answer. One day, perhaps, my father will tell me, but not today. If I needed to know it, he would have revealed it. And he would have revealed it already in, in three different ways. Remember, he reveals through nature, so you can know a little bit about God through nature, although many people look at nature and try to deny his existence, which really ticks God off, by the way, because he's revealed right there. But he's also revealed himself through the written word. He revealed through the prophets, this is what is true, and it's been written down and preserved for us, and we appreciate the written word. But his final revelation was when Jesus Christ came, the second person of the Trinity. And he's the one who's actually revealing all that I really need to know. All right? Then we moved on. Okay, what does Jesus Christ reveal, the second person of the Trinity? First of all is this. God is God. There's no other way to describe him. I can't say God, God is God. He's completely different, and he's not like me. Stop thinking of God as just some sort of exalted human being. Stop trying to think of him in any times of, of human concept. Or, you know, if I was God, I wouldn't do well. You're not God, and God isn't like you at all. He doesn't think like you. He doesn't feel like you. He doesn't act like you. He doesn't think like me. He doesn't act like me. God is his own special person. He's God, and he's not like me at all. You cannot figure him out. He's not just an exalted human being. He exists. Let me show you how different he is. He exists in a trinity in perfect harmony with himself, and you don't even understand what that means, do you? You know why I know that? Because nobody understands what that means. We don't have the human ability to comprehend unless perhaps you're really into science fiction. Maybe you're really into science fiction and you have all these crazy creatures in your mind where, that are weird and exist in different ways. Maybe you have a better, a better ability to understand God because God is, uh, I hate to use this word, but for those of you who are into science fiction, God is an alien, okay? He is an alien being, and he doesn't think like me or act like me or look like me. In fact, we'll see in a little while, particularly next week, that God's actually spirit. You can't see him anyway unless he wants you to. He's really different. He's in Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not three different gods. Not three manifestations of God. All those are heresies, by the way. One God, three persons, and if you understand it, you're lying. Because you don't. You can't. Your human brain isn't designed to comprehend a being such as God. He's not like me, and he's not like you. <sighs> Ready? Okay, now it's on the basis level. Here we go. Now, as we're looking at the second person of the Trinity, because it is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son, who comes and manifests and is born right here and lives right here in this world, okay? That's the one we really get to know and understand. Here's where we want to be for the rest of the day and for the next couple of weeks, as a matter of fact. Here it is. Ready? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, how can that be? How can God be one and then suddenly show up here? You're thinking like a human again, okay? You can't do that because you're human. He can do that because he's God, and he's not like you, and he doesn't exist like you, all right? Alien, different species, got it? The second person of the Trinity, who is still God, by the way, shows up here. 
Jesus is the answer to the four basic questions of life. The second person of the Trinity shows up here, is born as a human, grows up as a human, lives and dies as a human. And he becomes the answer to the four basic questions of life. A couple we've already looked at, but we're going to recap right here. Ready? We're going to handle two of those questions, and then next week and the week after, we'll finish with the last two basic questions of life. Here's the first question. What is God like? We've already spent a lot of time on this, and we're going to spend some more time this morning because I need for each one of us to understand, to get into our heads. That's a question that never really needs to be asked. Or if it is asked, it should be answered just like this because there is a one-word answer for what God is like. And what is that word? Jesus. There it is. What is God like? Well, he's Jesus. I can't describe anything else that he's Jesus. Now, is, is Jesus all there is to God? No, that's not correct because we still have the Father. The Son exists in the Trinity. But is the fullness of God found in Jesus? Yeah, he is. We saw that last week. That's what Scripture tells us. How does that work? Well, he's not like you or me, remember? He's an alien. He does it differently. He thinks differently. He exists differently. Will it work for you or me? No. He's human and I'm human. He's not. He's God. Okay? Is your head hurting already? Um, hopefully that we'll, we'll, we'll calm it down before we're done here. But on the basic level, this is what is true. And you'd be surprised how many heresies, how many people believe things that just aren't true because they can't grasp this one thing. God's not like you or me. He gets to do things that you and I could never do. And not just with his power, but with his very existence. The second person of the Trinity comes down and answers this question. What is God like? He is like Jesus. This is what scripture says. No one has ever seen God not so much as a glimpse. Talking about Jesus. This one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day. Do you understand what that means? John is talking about Jesus. Now, John had a very intimate relationship with Jesus. He was called the disciple that, that Jesus loved. This is, he's writing this many, many years after even the other Gospels had been written, and he's trying to fill in some blanks that were kind of missed in some of the Gospels because they didn't say everything that needed to be said. And he says, let me tell you about this Jesus. No one's ever seen God. Okay? There's a reason for that. God is spirit, and we'll, no one's ever really seen him. Moses got to speak face to face, but he didn't get to see God's face, remember? And even then, Moses was changed. He glowed. Just talking to God face to face made him glow. He had to wear a veil whenever he went down to be with the rest of the people because everyone else would go, that's weird. This is a weird guy. But he didn't get to see him. But John says, you know what? Jesus came and he's made him plain as day. Stop asking the question, God is like. God has already answered it. He already came. Read about Jesus. Learn about Jesus. Memorize what he's done. That is what God is like. It's one of the easiest questions you're ever, ever going to be asked if you're talking to somebody who is not a Christian, someone who's not a believer, someone who has real questions about all this stuff, and they'll say to you, well, what is God like? That is so easy to answer. Jesus about Jesus, study Jesus, what made him happy, what made him sad, what did he do, his compassion, his love, what he came to do, that's God, 
That is exactly what is like. Take a look at this passage. We look at this sun and we see the God who cannot be seen. It's pretty simple. We look at the sun and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and we see God's original purpose in everything. For everything, absolutely everything, above, below, visible, invisible, rank after rank after rank after angels. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. That's it. Jesus comes and says, I know you've had questions about what God is like. This is what God is like. So you study and you learn. And you never, ever, ever have to ask that question again. And the next time someone says, what's God like? You say, Jesus. So what does, God, what does Jesus reveal about this God? First of all here, God is a very personal God. Now what this means is that God really wants to have a relationship with us. That God is, we know that he's involved, but he, he, he wants to actually be involved in your life. Not just involved in the world generally, but he wants to be involved personally with each and every one of us. Now, how could he do that with the 7 billion people that are on this planet? He's not like us, remember? He's God. He's a completely different kind of being. You have a hard enough time being in relationship with two or three people. He can be in relationship with billions at once because he is and how do we know he wants this personal relationship? Here's how we know. Let me show you how personal this God is. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say what? for God, or Yahweh, which is the Hebrew for I am that I am, which is the name he gave himself in the burning bush. When you pray, don't say, God, I say, what? Father. In the Old Testament, there are a few times that God is referred to as Father, but Jesus comes and he reveals something to us. He says, let me tell you the very nature and basic nature of God. He's your father. In fact, while it's mentioned a few times in the Old Testament, Jesus talks about God as father 40 times just in the book of Matthew alone. He never says, well, pray to God. Look, he says, always God the father or just the father. And the whole idea behind that is, of course, a personal, intimate relationship with every single one of us. So intimate and so personal that there are times in the New Testament, Jesus even uses it, but Paul tells us to use it. They actually change the name from Father, we change it to Abba, which means Daddy. Have you ever had the courage to pray, Dad? need your help. It's amazing how often my kids call me. Chelsea and, and others will call me and say, oh, Dad, what do you, what's your advice? You know, how can you, you know, and sometimes I give advice. Sometimes I even give money, but don't you try it, okay? It doesn't work with me. <clears throat> because that's that, 
personal relationship. As a matter of fact, they hardly ever even call, call me far, father, and they almost never call me Doug. Sometimes Chelsea is for the fun of it because she's our granddaughter and we're her guardian. She just Doug. Yeah, see, there she is. But mostly it's uh, dad, hardly ever even father, because we have such an intimate, friendly, and usually healthy relationship. Have you ever got on your knees and said, Dad, I really need your help. Or, Dad, man, I'm just so happy today. Thank you for all that you've given me. You can, you know. You have every right to do so. And some of you even now are, are kind of bristling at that because it just seems so intimate. Yes. Yes. That's what it is. And if you're not that intimate with him, you're, you're missing out. You, you put a little barrier between you and God and where he has to be this formal father. Let's keep our distance here. God is a personal God. Believe me, he knows everything there is to know about you. There's no reason to keep any distance at all. He knows everything about you. What you think, how you smell, what you do when no one's looking. He loves you so much. He's not just God. And he's not just the Father. And he's not just your Father. Daddy. So Jesus lets us know. A personal, intimate God. But then he goes on and says even more than that. That God is not just a father. He is a good father. Which we have to remember because many of us, when we think of the term father, unfortunately, perhaps we think of fathers that are not necessarily all that good or are good most of the time. But every now and then, evil daddy shows up, and there you go. That just happens, because each one of us as human fathers are exactly that, human fathers, which means we every now and then mess up. But Jesus says, you know, let me tell you about this father. This father that I'm talking about is good, and he's good all the time, all the time. Jesus even talked about this one time. He's talking about the fact that, okay, we as fathers, we, we try to do our best, and we try to be good to our kids. We don't always succeed because we're human. Jesus says, just think about it. If, if you try to do your best, what do you think God's going to do for you? He is the best. This is what Jesus said. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If a father did that, a father wouldn't be a good father. Or if he asked for a fish, will he give him a snake? Because they couldn't eat snakes. You wouldn't be a good father. He says, of course you're going to be good to your kids. But then he says this, if you then, though you are evil, he knows us really, really well, doesn't he? Right? We try to be good. We do our very best. But when you really look, take a look at our hearts and our abilities, it's not all that great. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This Father that we celebrate, this Father that we know, isn't just Father he is a good father. Just imagine how good God really is as a personal father to each one of us. 
but you really don't have to imagine how good he is. You know how good he is? You ready? God, Jesus revealed to us God is a Jesus good father. Okay? That's why we go back to Jesus. How good is this father? Well, look at Jesus. That's how good he is. We have a Jesus good father. All right? That's the great news for us. A personal God who is so good, he's Jesus good. Now, not everyone accepts Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, and not everyone accepts Christianity, but you know what's interesting? All throughout history, even the people who have rejected Christianity, even the people who have rejected this whole concept of the church and what we do, they love Jesus. I don't know that I've ever read anybody that actually had bad things to say about Jesus. Church, Christianity, but when they read about Jesus, what are you going to say? Matter of fact, this is a, a quote that's haunted me for a long time. It's from Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi was, of course, uh, raised in India, and India had, by this point in time, gone through a, a few hundred years of Christian domination. The English came in and brought Christianity and ruled India for hundreds of years before they were finally removed in the, the late 40s, much to the help of by Mahatma Gandhi. So Christianity wasn't new to India. Christianity had been in India hundreds of years. And this is what Mahatma Gandhi said. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And that breaks my heart, see? Because that's part of, we'll see in the next couple of weeks, what we're supposed to do is <laughs> represent God right here. But even Mahatma Gandhi, who never became a Christian, he was Hindu his whole life, looked at the life of Jesus and said, you know what? That's good. That's good. God is our Father, and He is a Jesus good Father. Philip one time looked at Jesus, because Philip didn't quite get it. He didn't understand that when he looked at Jesus, he was seeing a Jesus good father. And he looked at Jesus and he says this, ready? Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And you can almost hear Jesus go, you've got to be kidding me. Three years I've been here. And you still don't get it? Don't you know me, Philip? Even if I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen Now, is Jesus the same as the Father? No. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity. How can that be? Stop asking, okay? He's not like us. That's how it can be. But you want to know what the Father's like? Then look at Jesus. Our Father, our personal Daddy, is a Jesus good Father. What an incredible relationship to have with Him. A daddy who knows us so well. Daddy who loves us and cares about us. But here is the problem. Talking about on the basic level. None of us is born with a relationship with our Jesus good father. We were supposed to be. All of us were supposed to come into this world with a great relationship with our, with our Jesus good father. Instead, we're born apart from him. 
I mean, there's, he's watching, he's, he's involved, he, but we don't really have that great relationship which we're supposed to have. And it's because long ago, long before you were born and I was born, our ancestors decided to walk away from that Jesus good father and do their own thing. Don't be too hard on them. Because everyone in this room has done exactly the same thing. Everyone. Don't get upset with the people in the past. Say, you know, if you hadn't done that, we'd be... No. Every single person in this room, every single person on this planet walks away from God, does their own thing. And here's the problem. My disobedience has separated me from my Father. Here is this Jesus good Father who wants so intimately to be involved in our lives and to help us to be able to get on our knees and say, Dad, thank you so much. Dad, I need it. I, Dad, I've got a problem. Dad, I need your help. And we can't do it because that relationship is strained and broken because of our own disobedience. And that is true for every single solitary person on the planet. This is the unpleasant truth that each one of us has to face because this is what the Bible says. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. Every single person at some point says, I'm going to do it on my own. I don't need your help. I want my own way. We call it disobedience. And we actually have another little shorter word for that disobedience. What do we call it? Three little letters. We call it what? That's all sin is. See, some people think that sin is, you know, you go off and you're, you're doing drugs or you're robbing liquor stores or whatever it is. When in fact, sin is just simply the disobedience. It's simply saying, God, you want me to go this way, don't you? No, I'm going here. You can sin doing good things. Did you know that? Sin isn't always a bad thing. You could sin doing something good. If you knew that your father wanted you to be a missionary to Africa, and you decided instead to stay here and be a doctor and give a lot of money to the church. One day you'd have to repent of your sin. God didn't call you to be a doctor. He wanted you to go be a missionary. And you said, no. Sin. That's all it is. And we're all prone to it. We all have that tendency to want to do our own thing. This is what Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory. All of us have been disobedient. When we disobey, we fall short of the glory of God. And then there is that barrier, that separation between ourselves and this great, loving Jesus, good Father, who loves us so much. And there's a separation. And we're born into that separation. The Bible tells us that our disobedience, our sin, have separated us from this Jesus, good Father. Which leads us then to another question, huh? That second question. How do we get that relationship back? 
That's the problem that Isaiah was asking when he wrote this. How then can we be saved? Okay, I know we've messed up. All of us have become like one who's unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. All, we, we all shrivel up like a leaf and, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. He says, even when we try to be good, our goodness is really not all that good. And by the way, you've heard this before, but I'll just remind you, the translation is not filthy rags. That's the American language cleaning up for God because we don't really want to say what God told him to write. And so in English, we clean it up for him so that you won't be offended. These were the rags that women used during their menstrual cycle. These weren't the rags that you used to clean your house. The rags that he's talking about were the rags that women used during their menstrual cycle. All of our righteous acts are like used tampons. That's what the Bible says. But we're not going to write it that way. That would be icky, you know. So God must be really happy that we cleaned it up for him. Brings us to the second basic question of life. Here it is. How do we get that relationship back? How can I know God? What is God like? Okay, God is like Who? Jesus, one word. What is God like? He is like Jesus. How do we, how can I know God? There's one word. Are you ready? It is Jesus. There it is. Now you're getting on a very basic level. How, what's God like? Jesus. How can I know him? Well, guess what? Same answer. Jesus. Jesus. That's it. Take a look at this passage. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men which men, by which we must be saved. There is no other way. There is not many paths to God. There is one single path to God, and it is through the man, Jesus. It's in him. It's because of him. Jesus himself said this. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is after one of his disciples said, show us the way. And Jesus, again, you, you just have to give him so much. Uh, you know, <sighs> I would have destroyed him long ago. Show us the way. You've got to be kidding. Show us the Father. Oh, come on. I've been here three years. You don't get it. Show us the way. You still don't get it. I am the way. Don't you get it yet? You want me to point you to a way? You think a way is a pathway? Don't you understand the way isn't a path as a person? The way is me. I know the way. You come into me and abide me and I'll get you there. I'm not going to tell you the way. You can't get there on your own. Come into me. I know the way, and I'm going there, and I'll go with you and take you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you'd know my Father. Why? Because Jesus represents the Father. How does all this work? All right, now, now we're getting to that basic level again. So here it is. There is a God. Graciously, he's revealing who he is to us because we're not discovering it. He, we only know the things that he tells us, and he tells us through nature. He tells us through the word. He tells us through the second person of the Trinity. What we know about God is he's not like us. The only way to describe him is he's God. Okay? He's a completely different type of being. He exists in a Trinity. How that works, don't know. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The second person of the Trinity has come down here to completely reveal all I need to know, not all there is to know, but all I need to know about God. 
when I look at Jesus, I begin to understand what God is like. And I understand that God is a personal God because Jesus tells me to pray Father. And that the Father is Jesus good because when you see Jesus, you see the Father. But I also know that I'm away from Him. I also know that I'm my sins separated me from this great relationship. Jesus said, don't worry, got it covered. I've got you covered. Not only did I come here to reveal to you what the Father's like, I came here to do something that you could not do on your own. I came to do this. Jesus came to do what I couldn't do. To be completely, lifelong, obedient. See, we were supposed to be completely lifelong obedient. And our ancestors messed up, Adam and Eve. And what's interesting about Adam and Eve is God, you think sometimes that God is this God who says, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and kind of a, a killjoy God. Take a look at God in, in the book of Genesis and, and God says, you see all this? You can do anything you want. It's all yours. I put you control of everything. One thing I don't want you to do, just one, how permission giving is that? Think of all the millions of things you can do, but don't do this one thing. And what do they do? The one thing. That is just so us, you know. <laughs> so don't get too upset with him because that's, God could give us as much permission as he wanted to, but if he said, don't do that, that's us. Nobody could be completely lifelong obedient. We mess up, and when we mess up, there's no way to make up for how we mess up. I mean, how can you be more than completely? I'll tell you what, okay, God, I've been completely obedient, but I messed up here. From now on, I'll be completely obedient. Well, you're supposed to do that in the first place. How can you be more than completely obedient? You can never, ever make up, ever, for messing up even once. You can't do it on your own. Remember all the good things you try to do on your own anywhere, like filthy, We're supposed to be completely lifelong, but we mess it up. We can't fix it. There is no extra credit. So Jesus came. Guess what he was? From the moment of his birth, even before, to the moment of his death, you know what Jesus was? He wasn't just telling us about God. He was completely obedient. Take a look at this passage. We looked at it before, but I want you to see it again. Who, being, talking about Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Okay, Jesus was God. He had full equality with God. He was deity, worshipped by the angels, living up in heaven. He gave it all up instead of saying, I'm not going down there. I'm God. I don't do that kind of stuff. He came down here. being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. How obedient was Jesus? Completely. He came here when the Father asked him to come here. He said what the Father asked him to say. He did what the Father asked him to do. He chose the disciples the Father asked him to choose. We're going to take a look at this more in the next couple of weeks. He put up with the insults from his own creation because his father asked him to. He allowed his own creation to arrest him and to slap him and to beat him and to spit on him. 
He willingly died because the Father asked him. Now, Jesus, second person of the Trinity, went to the Father in prayer and said, you know, I really wish there's another way. Is there another way to get this done, Father? Because if there's another way to get it done, I really would prefer another way than the cross. But then he said, nevertheless, what? Not my will, but I don't want to do this, Father. I know what it's going to be like. What? That's what you want for me. And somewhere in that prayer, we never get the actual answer, although we know what the Father said. Because of what Jesus did, the Father said, take the cross, stand up, face the soldier, use the cross. And Jesus stood up, faced the soldier, had to submit to his own creation doing all those things. He could have stopped at any time, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. At any time. Scripture tells us at any moment. Because one of his disciples interfered. Jesus says, wait a minute. Don't you, you trying to stop this? Don't you think I could stop this? At any moment, I could ask my father. And he would send legions of angels. Enough angels to wipe out every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet several times older, just like that. Stop trying to interfere with my crucifixion. If I wanted it to stop, it would stop. Completely and totally obeyed. And our Father had to ask Him to do the hardest thing He possibly could. You understand that? He had to ask Him to die. One, because somehow His death paid for, for, for my sins. I understand all of that. It's a, still kind of a mystery the way it all works, but that's God anyway. But he had to ask him to die because he had to ask the hard, hard, hard thing. Remember when Job was tested by Satan and Satan went to God and said, yeah, Job only worships you because you protected him. And God said, well, yeah, you can go this far, but no farther. And he does. And Job still protects him and still worships God. And Satan comes back and says, and then God says, well, what do you think? Job didn't deny me, and Satan says, what? Well, that's because you didn't push him far enough. You let me touch him. Let me touch him, and you'll see. So God gives him permission. In other words, here's what happened. If God didn't push Jesus to the very hardest thing, the hardest thing that he could possibly ask him, there would always be that possibility to say, well, Jesus was obedient, but what if God had asked him to do the really hardest thing? So God had to ask him to do the hardest thing in life, submit to his own creation, Allow that creation to mock him, spit on him, and nail him to a cross. There was nothing hard. And Jesus said, okay. Okay. Anyway. Now, how does that help me? How does that help you? Because our Father knows that we cannot be perfectly lifelong obedient. And there's no way for us to get that relationship back. Now he says to us, okay, ready? I just need you to get this relationship back. I need you to do one simple thing. 
Here it is. My father now asked me to place my trust into Jesus. Okay, Doug, you can't be perfectly obedient. You weren't perfectly, perfectly obedient. You can't make up for your disobedience. My son was perfectly obedient his entire life. I'm going to ask you to do one thing to start this relationship and get it back on track. Will you trust that my son did it for you? I know you're not going to be perfectly obedient for the rest of your life, Doug. I know that. But let's start here. Can you trust that my son was perfectly obedient for you? And if you'll do that, if you will admit and accept that you needed him to do it, that he did it for you, and that now your trust isn't in your own goodness, but it's in Jesus, if you'll do that, I'll take his obedience and I'll make it your obedience. And I'll wipe out all the things that you did that are disobedient. We'll wipe the slate clean. And we'll start that intimate daddy-son relationship. This is what Scripture says. Say the welcoming word to God. Jesus is my master. Embracing body and soul, God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting to him to do it for you. That's salvation. Salvation is when we just simply say, I need it. I've been disobedient. I can't change it. I can't fix it. All of my efforts to make it right make it worse. My goodness isn't good enough for you. Jesus, you came not just to show me what God is like. You came to do for me what I could never do. You came to be perfectly obedient. You say, I put my trust not just in his death. Some of you are trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Could I tell you something? Expand a little bit. Put your trust in his life from beginning, not just to end, but to everlasting. His obedience. Your obedience. His actions. Your actions. Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his continued life for all eternity. Put your trust there. You see, one day I'm going to get up there. And uh, I'm going to see the Lord. I don't know if it's going to be Gates, but I could just imagine that we have that in our minds. And again, it's a very different kind of world, but you get this and you can almost see God saying, uh, what are you doing here, baby? I know you. I know you better than you know you. Would you like me to show you all the things you've ever done? And I would say, come on, 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 see. Why are you here? And I'm going to point to Jesus and I'm going to say three little words. I'm with him. 